Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome, everybody, to Brews and Bruins, Episode 2. I'm Drew, and I'm here with Chris and Cam. Uh, one of you guys want to go first, introducing yourself and what you're drinking? Uh, Chris Gear, San Diego, uh, drinking a Coronado Brewing Company Weekend Vibes IPA. Um, mm. It's one of my go-tos, especially on a Thursday when I'm not working on Friday. Nice. Those are the best Thursdays. We can talk a little bit more about that. Afterward, I am Cam Hasbrook in College Park, Maryland, a.k.a. Collie P. <laughs> I'm sorry about that, guys. <laughs> that's that's what the youth say around here. Uh, and I'm drinking, this is a different one. So, uh, first of all, I'm going to flat out just apologize to whichever guy or gal on Twitter was shitting on Blue Moon. I am drinking a Blue Moon here, but it's a little different. It's a Blue Moon Iced Coffee Blonde. So I got a Blue Moon variety pack, and this was one of the beers that was included. And I gotta say, it's decent. It's not my favorite beer by any means, but it's not horrible. It's got really strong Guinnessy vibes. Uh, so if you like that, and there's definitely they're not lying about the iced coffee. Like it's it tastes like iced coffee and beer, which sounds horrible, but it's actually pretty good. So we'll, uh... yeah, it sounds sounds fucking disgusting. <laughs> it's like... I on the other. <laughs> I, on the other hand, am Drew Johnson. I'm in Massachusetts. Twitter is Doobshmoob. You guys should plug your Twitters as well. But I'm drinking a Boom Sauce from Lord Hobo. It's a double IPA. And uh, Lord Hobo is actually located in Massachusetts uh, in Woburn, Mass, which is right by uh, my hometown. Sick. Yeah, uh, at Gear OTC. Uh, thinking about changing that. I don't know. Naming my Twitter after a now defunct blog doesn't really make any sense, but I don't know. Maybe Gear B A B. Coming at you soon, Gear B B A B. Rather, uh, I am just at Cam Hasbrook. I already explained how to spell it out last episode. You can go there, or just keeps trying, and eventually you'll find it, or you won't, and then we'll all be sad. But just, what, what <laughs> just look in the description of the episode. In the description of the episode, it'll say his name. Exactly, and that's there. exactly no, how no, no, you spell no. it. No, no, no. Uh, go, go back and listen to the last episode specifically yeah. to hear Cam spell his name. That way, we get the download. Numbers. Which is at the very end, so you have to watch, listen to the whole thing. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, while we're talking about last week's episode, I think we should take a quick second and just thank everybody. I, I, I don't know about you guys, but I'm pretty happy with uh, how our first week went uh, as far as liftoff goes. A solid amount of listeners. Uh, we got some good engagement on Twitter. So, um, you know, obviously we want this to be a good podcast for everybody listening. But at the end of the day, we're doing this just to have fun, drink some beer, talk some hockey. Um, but I think I'm pretty happy with how the first week went. So I just want to shout out everybody who listened. And uh, thanks, Mom. yeah it's awesome uh i i expected definitely some listenership but maybe not to this degree and uh 
you know, getting some interaction with people on Twitter has been good. And, uh, I don't know, getting to know you guys better has been good, too. Oh, my, yeah, my heart. I'd like, I'd like to thank my parents for having me. Um, <laughs> And my, my friends for always supporting me. <laughs> All right, that's um, episode yeah, two. It's been no. fun. <laughs> it's been fun. Uh, and let's keep it rolling. Yeah. Um, so do we want to look into the uh, this past week? Hey, let's Anyone do it. want to kick it off? Yeah. Sounds like a great idea to me. Uh, all right, I guess I'll get started with it. They started out... <clears throat> let's go back. Episode one, we predicted four to five points. Chris was pretty hell-bent on four. Drew and I both said five. I, kind of just to slip in a shootout loss joke, but realistically, I think five was fair to hope for. I don't know, quite expect, but definitely hope for. Um, I think at six was almost even fair to hope yeah, for. Yeah, definitely, definitely. They did get four, but maybe not the four that you'd expect. Start off with a Saturday 4-2 to win against the Arizona Coyotes. Quick thoughts about that one, guys. How, how did you feel about it? Man, that power play is dominant, and that was kind of the the show right there. We talked about on the last episode how Arizona's kind of been struggling a bit, so really need to take advantage of a team that's not playing that well. And, man, they made some mistakes, especially giving up some penalties, and that was one where the Bruins really took advantage. And, I mean, that, that power play, when it's firing, it looks – unstoppable yeah I think these past three games that we're going to talk about the power play was insane maybe not so much against Detroit but they've been uh you know taking advantage of their chances uh not really looking back so yeah power play has been lethal and I think that's a big reason why they won against Arizona and Montreal for that matter um Detroit not so much but that one I kind of just want to get over with talking about (laughs) i would push push back on that a little bit i think the power play did work pretty well i think it was mostly just some bad luck and some good goaltending that prevented that power play from from really striking they they still looked pretty strong on the power play for the most part yeah it's nothing like in uh 2011 when you look at that power play somehow they won the cup without (laughs) without a power i in in that run i was just like just please Play five on five. You we don't need trade. We don't need power plays. <laughs> Tomas Cabrillet just to get some guy who can move the puck on the power play. <laughs> yeah. The absolute lag. That, that's an anomaly, especially in today's NHL, where it is a little higher scoring and there's just so much reliance on special teams. To see and look back at that run with the power play that they had is just almost laughable. I mean, obviously, us being Bruins fans enjoyed it, but I feel like the teams that they were beating were just frustrated because there was just absolutely no reason that a team with that kind of power play should do what they did. And especially when you look at how many game sevens they played during that run, it's like at some point yeah. you feel like one of these missed power play opportunities is going to come back and bite you. And they just kept going for it. So, Hey, it yeah, was a good really time. Refreshing. It's real refreshing to see the power play now compared to then. And that's oh, yeah. the recap of the Arizona <laughs> game. <laughs> <laughs> Of course, uh, yeah. And it all starts in 2011, 2011 in Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> they, they were, uh, it was Phoenix back in 2011, too. So. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Um, um, so, yeah, Detroit, that was sad. Um, I know. I, I was think... really upset that the NHL just canceled that game. It didn't even happen. That's just, <laughs> <laughs> I was upset. I was really looking forward to it, but I guess, you know, it just straight up didn't happen. So, 
I even sat on my couch in in honor of the game that was supposed to be played and drank a couple of beers, but nothing came on my TV. <laughs> it, it was like 10 a.m. where you are. Oh yeah, Cali, right? It started at 9:30. You were drinking beer, and then me and Cam were like just getting over the night before. <laughs> <laughs> With with a three hour advantage, which would have yeah. seem fair, but that's all right. Um, so yeah, Anastate or this guy's name always kills me. Athanasio, is that right? Athanasio, Athanasio, one of those. It's a it's a brutal one. My dogs Two goals are going for him. crazy at your mispronunciation of. <laughs> they are upset. They... <laughs> so two goals for him. Jonathan Bernier standing on his head. Thirty nine saves for the Red Wings. Yeah. I mean, that kind of shows to, you know, some of the bad luck that Chris was talking about. It's not like they didn't have chances. You put 39 shots on goal, especially against a team like the Red Wings. You're going to win most of your games, um, but just didn't go this time. Uh, Arizona. Detroit had been shut out in three of their last four before that, and then, you know, they come out and put a, a three spot up, so... Uh, a tough one to swallow for the Bruins, who apparently, I guess, Detroit, the worst team in the league, and as we were discussing last week, one of the worst teams in NHL history is just their Achilles heel now. <laughs> um, they'll have a chance to bounce back and get some revenge, which we'll get to later in the pod, but that was definitely a tough one to watch. Yeah, I feel like we're all pretty measured, reasonable people on this pod, but I think uh, my my role here is going to be just saying it's never as bad as it seems and it's never as good as it seems mm-hmm. so when you lose to detroit that 3-1 score looks worse than it is because one of those goals is an empty netter um tuka wasn't challenged that much but he did play pretty well only gave up a couple of goals um and he, he wasn't supposed to start that game mm-hmm. um halak i guess was we'll say under the weather um, <laughs> that might be a little generous from what it sounded like. <laughs> um, yeah, so I, I don't like. Obviously, you want to see a little more spirited performance against one of the worst teams in the league. But I mean, I hate when when people come out and say stuff like, "Oh, they didn't even try. They, it was a letdown, like trap game. They they didn't even go in there and like that was a game that they should have seized." Um, and then mm-hmm. they. I believe outshot Detroit by a pretty large margin. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't think that was as bad a performance as, as you know, everyone on Twitter is saying it is. <laughs> and then Shocking. you have the um, the video review, uh, which I think is a topic we're going to discuss mm-hmm. in a bit. Um, so, yeah, like you said, it was, it was not as bad as it seems, especially when you consider it was a doubleheader, their third in nine or ten days or so. Um, and they do have another one coming up, but before we talk all about that, the week ended on a high note with a nice win against Montreal. Four to one win with an empty netter from Bergie, but story of the game, Pasternak with the hat trick. Um, just, and he took the, uh, at least at the time of recording, he is the, uh, league leader in goals. Um, what do you guys have to say about that? Cause that was just. For me, that was an impressive performance after I think a lot of people were saying he's due. He dried up a little bit, which for Pasternak, that means like two games. And what do you guys think about just that whole game, uh, Pasternak plus the you know the rest of the team included? Oh, man. I mean, David Pasternak is just ridiculous to watch. It, like, it's so hard to remember sometimes that this guy is 23 years old. 
I mean, with the the rate that he scores at, and again, I think we take really for granted his age because he's been like this for a couple seasons now. Granted, this is the first time he's scored 40 goals. He's already been in the league for, this is his sixth season. Um, but yeah, I mean, like, the guy put up 40 for the first time. He's scoring at just an unbelievable pace. I mean, the two guys he passed, Austin, Austin Matthews and Alex Ovechkin, Ovechkin, obviously a Hall of Famer, still got it, even though he's getting up there. He's got some time left, and there's the whole discussion about whether or not he'll break Gretzky's record. That's a conversation for another time. And then Austin Matthews, once again, another franchise talent. So just to watch Pasternak score at this rate, it's just unfair sometimes. He's just such a talented player. And and the other thing that really stuck out to me uh, after the game, Brad Marchand was talking about him and obviously was praising his goal-scoring ability. Uh, and we'll talk about that Marchand assist, too, because that was just absolutely disgusting. But the other thing that Marchand said about Pasternak was that his defensive game has gotten better, which I think a lot of people overlook, and understandably so, because the guy's leading the lead in goals. But he really is kind of a two-way player. I don't want to, obviously, nowhere near the Bergerons of the league or something like that. Um, he's not going to get Selkie Trophy you know, consideration or anything like that. But for a guy who is at least pretty responsible in his own end to go out and score 40 already, it's just absolutely insane. Yeah, I'm a, a spoiler alert here. I'm a big David Pasternak fan. Uh, guy, I, th- <laughs> no, I, think, really? I think he's going to be a good I don't know player. how you can't be. You, you and what <laughs> army? <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I had some pushback against uh, a lot of the feelings that were coming out about his quote-unquote drought where if you actually watched the games, it wasn't as though he was struggling at all. He he was still scoring at more than a point-per-game pace. Oh, yeah. He had like nine assists over nine games or something like that. He had situations where he was dropping the puck off to his line mates to score empty net goals when he had wide-open shots. He had that assist to Krug. Um, just really unselfish play that kind of endears him both to his teammates and to the fans. It's just, I, like, I can't think of a kind of player you would rather have on your team than this guy who's in the midst of a scoring race and he's willing to drop off easy goals to his teammates. Mm-hmm. Um, guy who's repeatedly said he, he doesn't care about the money, he just wants to win in Boston. Mm-hmm. Um, he's for the type of player he is, al- along with Marchand and, and Bergeron, they're all making way less than they deserve uh, when you look at contracts league-wide. And he's never complained about it, just wants to win, just wants to have fun playing hockey. Looks like he's always having fun. He just seems like a, a great dude. Like, I would want to hang out with this guy. I want to have a beer with Pasternak. Yeah. Maybe no, we'll I get him on a pause just... sometime. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Shout out to Pasternak. Like, like and subscribe. Uh, yeah, blow this up so we can get uh, better guests. 300 retweets and we'll have Pasternak. <laughs> Confirmed. Um, <laughs> um, no, as you were saying about the money, I think, I mean, there's some bias here being a Boston guy, but I think that's a characteristic of Boston sports in general. If you look at every team um, in Boston, uh, it's more about the team than it is about individual performance uh, and personal salary. I mean, for example, Tom Brady, which is a whole nother topic. I know right now it doesn't look that great, but (laughs) his whole career taking pay cuts. um, I think that's a big, uh, a big characteristic of Boston. It's very, 
I think at least more rare than other sports cities that we have this egotistical douchebag asshole um, that comes through and just, you know, takes a spotlight. Um, in, in regards to Pasternak's two-way game, I definitely agree, especially, you know, since his rookie year, uh, sophomore season, he's been looking, I mean, compared to that, amazing defensively. I think a big part of that is playing with Bergeron. Bergeron, we could dedicate a whole episode to Bergeron. Um, but he is one of those players that makes his line mates better uh, and everyone on his team better. Um, and I think a big part of the reason why Pasta and Marshy are able to produce so much is because Bergeron is there to cover their ass if they get caught up ice. And if you look, even if Bergeron doesn't get a point on those goals, he makes some sort of move in his own end uh, that gets the puck transitioned and then Pasta and Marshy able to capitalize on that. So I think, you know, I give Bergeron a lot of credit there. And obviously credit's due with Pasternak, but... Let, um, let, me, I think. let me transition and segue a little bit into Marshan because... While, while you're heaping this praise on Bergeron, I think a lot of people sell Marchand short. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think he gets, obviously, more credit to, on the defensive end than Pasternak does. But I think he has become an elite two-way forward. If you watch the things that he does on the defensive end with... Uh, I don't know if there's anyone in the league better at timing his stick lifts. So when guys are receiving passes, he's in there with his stick and he's ready to to alter somebody's plans to receive a pass. And he does a lot of really interesting things. If you watch him, he'll skate out of his way to make sure he's in an opponent's blind spot to maybe give them a false sense of security with the puck and then sweep in on the boards and grab it. And he's one of the most fun players to watch on the defensive end because he, he does things like that where the things that you wouldn't normally think of if you're just casually watching hockey or if you're just watching the offensive end. Um, I think he does a lot of those little things that help the team win. Yeah, I saw you tweeting about the blind spot thing the other week, <clears throat> which honestly was not something that I had really paid much attention to beforehand. But the next couple of games I watched, and you're absolutely right. I mean, he just he has an awareness on both ends of the ice. And again, I think it's something that people kind of overshadow because obviously Bruins fans who watch a lot of the games know his worth. But I think... A lot of the league, at least fans-wise, especially those who don't watch, you know, every game, see Marshan still as just a rat who, you know, gets as the agitator role, which he plays well, but I think people really sell him short on his skill. I think people are starting to realize now how elite of a scorer he has become, but he definitely uh, is, is still somebody that could deserve more recognition on the defensive end for all those reasons you just said. I know I sound like high on Bergeron, like literally high on Bergeron right now, <laughs> but I think also a contributing factor to this and is also growing up, so to speak, as a hockey player under Bergeron and under uh, Claude, I think is also a major factor in that. I think the Bruins, especially in the Claude era, were able to take these quote-unquote scorers, offensive players, and make them play a defensive game as well. Um, that was really emphasized. I'm not saying that's not emphasized now under uh, under Cassidy, but I think you know Bergeron has done so much in developing 
both Marshawn and Pasternak. But, yeah, I think you're exactly right with Marshawn not really getting the credit where credit is due on his two-way game a lot of the time. Uh, I mean, and that's because he's scored 100 points last season. Yeah. Uh, and that's kind of, you know, that's the highlight. But really, if you watch him the whole game, he's he's doing the work in his own zone that he needs to do to make the Bruins a winning team, not him just individually doing well offensively. Also, shout out to our friend uh, Brandon Cher Cohen, who wrote an article about uh, all the Bruins who've scored 100 points. Um, BSC. Yeah. Definitely exactly. a future guest. Definitely yes. a future guest. We'll have him on for and sure. And a great follow on Twitter. And a great poutine recommender. I went up to Montreal this summer. <laughs> I, hope he, I hope he gets a good laugh listening to this one. And first of all, he was very kind to show me and my buddies around. Gave us a tour of the old Montreal Forum. Uh, you know, obviously as a Bruins fan, Montreal, Canadians, uh, but just such a historic city as far as hockey goes and just the culture. Going to the Forum and just being there was just awesome. Um, but then he took us mm-hmm. to a sweet poutine place. Oh man, I'm I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. But uh, <laughs> yeah, shout out BSC for sure. Um, another thing I want to talk about quick with this game: two quick hits. First of all, Tuukka Rask now 19 game point streak at home, 13 0 and 6 in his last 19 games at home. He had 28 saves in that uh, Canadians game. But then also the Bruins as a whole now have the best home record in the NHL. Once again, uh, at the time of this recording, I'm not sure what everybody else's home record is like. But that brings them to 20-2-9. So 22-9 and um, on the season at TD Garden. And with the way that they're playing right now, having a very serious shot at the President's Trophy, that has some really good implications going into the playoffs if they can lock down home ice advantage going into the postseason. Obviously, we've got a long way to go there, but if they can hold on to that President's Trophy, having a home record like that could be a big difference maker come late spring. Yeah, and and you mentioned Tuka Rask. uh, Also should mention that as of this recording, now leading the league in both goals against average and save percentage, uh, with 211 and 930 respectively, which is impressive. Uh, is he good? <laughs> no, he sucks. Remember? Yeah, we're everybody on Twitter. <laughs> call me basically. Call me crazy, or maybe it's just because I muted all the misspellings of Tuka's first name on Twitter. But <laughs> I think the uh, the noise about him not being worth that contract has uh, died down a little bit. I, I think actually we should do, just yeah. do a seg. I think we should do a segment where we read all the misspellings of his name. <laughs> Tucker Risk. <laughs> yeah, that would be. Yeah, I think. I think it's an understatement to say that Tuka Grass doesn't get the praise he deserves out of the uh, the Boston fan base. Um, I think that about covers it. Like, <laughs> there's yeah. just so many haters out there, and uh, he's been just downright amazing. Um, his last regulation loss at the garden was game seven i say that softly not to stir can't win the big emotions (laughs) um yeah Yeah, i I don't that sounds like it's cuba beer number two (laughs) i I don't remember who said this originally but i i repeated it a couple years ago uh when people were talking about tuka rask who by the way has incredible career playoff numbers um Mm -hmm was watching some arguments on Twitter a few years ago and uh, there somebody was saying like, okay, 
Tuca can't win in the playoffs response was look at these stats they say otherwise person responded yeah but he can't win the big game and the response to that was it's only a big game if you lose because every game he won leading up to the big games that the Bruins lost in the playoffs were also big games but because he didn't lose them you don't think of them as being big games right yeah, that's Just a very fair point. I've never really understood the whole because I've heard the same argument. I think that's like the biggest anti Tugarask argument um, from the misspellers of the world out there. But <laughs> I've heard that plenty. I've heard it like in reference to like the Olympics and stuff like that. Um, like when he was literally sick. <laughs> like I don't know what you want him to go up and start throwing up on the. He's not going to be able. To, people are like, oh, he's faking an illness to like because he's too scared to play in the game. I'm like, that's just absolutely preposterous. Like, But we're also going to pretend like Team Finland was up to par yeah. with <laughs> Team Canada. I think, I, I think a big part of the Tukarask hate, before we move on, because I know uh, Chris has to go down south to Texas to go to Cowboy Con or something. <laughs> um, <laughs> some role-playing or something. And so, but I think... Uh, <laughs> I'm trying to keep a straight face, but I can see your faces right now. So, um, yeah, I think a big thing with Rask getting so much shade is that he's following up with Tim Thomas, who was great and obviously won the cup, Con Smythe winner. Uh, but they have completely different styles where Tim Thomas is this flashy, all over the place goaltender. So even some of the simpler saves look really flashy. Uh, well, he did not to take away from what he did because he totally deserved that con smite. But uh, with Rask, he's such a structured, I'd say, goaltender. Just reverts to the butterfly. And some of, some of the saves that look really simple are actually very difficult to execute. Um, and he just has so much training in his angles and everything. So when he's not making all these flashy saves compared to Tim Thomas, he almost, I don't know, looks boring in a way. Um, where in reality he's you know he's still he's an elite goaltender in the league. Yeah. Um, any final thoughts on Tuca before uh, we move on to some some hot takes? He's good. Yeah, his positioning is outstanding. Real quick before we do get into that, uh, just because we had it in the doc here, Zidane Chara gets a five thousand dollar fine for his cross checking incident. Drew, I think you said it best. I don't think he's losing any sleep over that. No, and I'll quote my dad as well. Give him credit. He, he uh, it was worth every penny. Yeah, but let's be serious. He definitely deserved the extra two on that and didn't get it. Oh yeah. <laughs> so maybe that's where the fine comes from. Brendan Gallagher yeah. uh, kind of like touched him in the chest and then <laughs> ate a stick for it. Don't poke the bear. Yeah, yeah. I would not. Man, I would. To be fair, I would not have the balls to poke Zidane Chara. So I guess. Well, good on also, Gallagher for fair, that. <laughs> Brendan, Brendan Gallagher's like 5'10", and Zidane Ochara, his shoulders are at like 5'10". Yeah. So like, Probably even taller. Yeah, probably his natural yeah. arm height is like at Brendan Gallagher's mouth. So I think he just, you know, he missed. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, like, it sounds like we're making excuses, but like, I, I honestly... <laughs> kind of believe like I I would buy that like I just I, I know like obviously people are different on the ice but like 
have you ever seen this man's Instagram page? Like, it, it's like oh, it's it's <laughs> yeah. Quick, quick plug for Zidane Char's Instagram. No, page. it's actually it's a dad. It's a total dad Instagram. <laughs> it's like is like dad oh. who's like stoned out of his mind. It'll just like be tweeting about nature and how beautiful it is. Like, I, it, I if you follow one person on Instagram, I want it to be him. That's all I'm saying. Let's get into the hot takes. <laughs> All right, so one thing I really wanted to talk about, and we actually did a poll with the uh, Brews and Bruins account, which is at Brews and Bruins. And if you don't know how to spell that, then I'm, I'm surprised you, you found out how to listen well, to it's us. Br- it's Brews and Bruins, not Brews and Bruins. Just make sure That's you put true. that That's true. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yep, you're right. Maybe I'm the idiot here. Um, <laughs> so video reviews, obviously, um, well, if you don't know about it, Basically, the Bruins had a goal. It was the video review, the infamous offsides review that has been happening league-wide. And I think more times than not, the Bruins have been screwed over for... Um, and I think, you know, that would have... I believe that would have... Yeah, it would have made it 1-1, correct? Yeah. If that yeah, was counted. Yeah. So I put out a poll because obviously, you know, technically it was offside. Uh, but we put out a poll saying uh trying to put your bias aside what would you rather see in regards to video review and i meant this across the board just league video review not necessarily offsides um either coaches challenge which is the way it is now um no video no video reviews at all or the nhl colin um and actually no video reviews won 44 percent nhl colin 42 percent and then coaches challenge 14 percent personally i liked it the way it was for a long time and i think for the most part they got this correct when hq called in when they saw something the situation room uh it was usually handled accurately and quickly besides a few uh you know outliers there that didn't really work out but i think i think it it gives it this universal view where these specific people are looking at each and every instance across the league of whatever the challenge is rather than bring it into the hands of the linesmen or the officials or whoever to make the call based on what they're viewing on an iPad for like five minutes. Um, it was usually very quick. And I think, I think that universal view is really important. So there was actually a, a status quo. There was actually, yes, this is offsides. Yes, this is not a goal, what have you. Uh, what do you guys think about the uh, coach's challenge in general right now? I, I agree. If you look at the nhl as a product and what it has going for it as its most exciting thing it's the infrequency of goals and the excitement that provides and i mean you could say like oh yeah we want more scoring in the league and that would be good but compared to basketball where like imagine if you reacted the same way every time someone scored a basket in basketball as you did to a goal in hockey and you'd be an insane person um, the video review has kind of removed that from the game um, where every time a goal is scored you kind of take a beat and you think like alright uh, was anything amiss there Did someone was somebody an inch offside like 30 yeah. seconds ago um, and, and it's hard to fully enjoy things and especially in the playoffs I actually, <laughs> I actually ruined an overtime win for uh, for my roommate uh, I thought I saw Charlie Coyle offside on uh, one of the uh, whatever the overtime win was against the Blues. I don't. I kind of scrub that series from my memory. Um, and 
when the Bruins scored, I was like, no, nah, don't even celebrate. They're going to overturn this. And they went back and looked at it, and there was no offside. And <laughs> we didn't get to celebrate or anything. It almost like almost felt like the Bruins lost. That's a tough one, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah it, it's kind of at the point where if it's close, I tweeted this too. If it's close, I just want them to go tag up, intentionally clear the zone, and go back in again. And I think that's an indication that something – is wrong with this offside review. I think, you know, it was put in place. I think there was a specific play. I think it was Duchenne. It was Duchesne against the Predators. And, and now he is a Predator. He is he like, still a Predator? <laughs> he was like a foot offside. Yeah. And they missed it. And so the, and, the whole point of the review was to catch those obvious mistakes. Yeah. And now we're nitpicking on inches and i think that's another reason why you want to keep it in the league's hand personally i think they're because what they would do was they take a quick look at it they wouldn't you know spend the five minutes that the refs spend on it um they take a quick look and if it seemed right you know they move on if it seemed unless it was blaringly obvious they they moved on um or a very controversial goal in the game that changes the entirety of the game uh, when you have it in the hands of the coaches, you know, and now they, this season, I believe, uh, it was the first time they implemented a delay of game penalty if you get it wrong. But coaches, you know, they can just be like, okay, challenge it. It's in their hands. Even if it's very, very close, they could just throw out the challenge flag, so to speak, you know, football term. But, um, yeah, I think if it's in the league hands, league's hands, you see a lot less of the offside review. Um, I think keeping it for those specific times where it's blatant and somehow the ref is just caught napping, uh, it's good to have that in place, but I think it should be in the league's hand for that reason because I think they would only challenge it if it was obvious. Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head. I mean, I think obviously the everybody's biggest problem with the review system as it is is it takes forever. Like You could take a nap during the review and you won't miss anything. I, I forget exactly how long it was the other day. I think it was like almost five minutes, and Drew, you... Bruin, the Bruins Twitter account re- thought it was three hours, which I thought was great. Just the salt. <laughs> I love. I love when the Twitter accounts get sassy. I'll tell you what, there is a talent to social media that most people don't have. We'll leave it there. But I think you hit the nail on the head. Oh yeah, certainly for sure, definitely. <laughs> no new, doubt. New there. game. Uh, everyone try to guess who is who it is that tweets everything that our account tweets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's an impossible game because it just it mixes. It mixes. Um anyway, I think you hit the nail on the head. I think when the review system was initially implemented, it was to misplay or to catch plays nice, like that Duchenne call or lack thereof rather, where it's glaringly mm-hmm. obvious. And I think you're exactly right, where if they switch back to the league calling in, you're not gonna interrupt the game and say, Hold on, the league's looking at this and take five minutes. If there is a blatantly obvious play that is offside or something like that, the league will call in and say, hey, you really fucked that one up. Go fix it. But we don't need to have this, like, six-minute review where it's like, all right, did the guy lift his toe off the blue line or is it touching there and is the puck a half a centimeter to the left? Like, no one wants to see that. It ruins the point of hockey. And probably somewhere between 80 and 90% of the time it has no bearing on the actual yeah, and that's goal. exactly that's the exactly. other thing yeah it's like and i don't know how you fix that if there's like a time frame or something but it's like 
you know, you dump the puck in, the other team gets control of it and then turns it over by themselves, and then, you know, 40 seconds later they score? Like, that's not... Who cares? That doesn't matter at all. So I don't know how you go about fixing that, but it's just so frustrating because hockey is such a beautiful sport because it's the fastest game on ice, which is a cliche, right? But the point is that the flow of a hockey game is one of the biggest things that makes it such a beautiful sport and interrupting it with these merch good name of all of the other ice sports like curling (laughs) yeah sorry to the figure curling curling is uh, sick honestly i'll sit down and watch the curling sometime um winter olympics coming up in two years oh big time true big time we'll see if the nhl is it oh they're they're supposed to be it's uh it's looking good Oh, actually? I mm-hmm. thought they were not going to be. I thought Bettman just kind of hated the Olympics. Now. All right, well, I'm thrilled because no, this I, is a whole – this is a conversation for another day, but I hate yeah. that there's, like, not a true international ice hockey competition, so I hope the, you're right. The Olympics are one of my – Olympic hockey is one of my favorite things. But, yeah, yeah we'll, we'll come back to that some other time. Um, and one last thing on the uh, video review. I think it's so hard to backtrack now because you're seeing all these offside reviews and they're getting called non-goals because of one frame of the video review uh, indicates that it's offside. I think, you know, before they would review these offside calls, no one questioned it. No one at all was like, oh, wait, that was offside if you look back. Now, if they try to backtrack it, everyone is going to be like, that was offside by this one or two frames of the video replay. So I just think it's way too hard to backtrack, but we'll see. It is a problem, so we'll see what the NHL can come up with. Yeah, at the end um, of the day, like those slightly missed calls are kind of a part of the game. It's like the robotic umpires argument in baseball. It's like, is it going to be 100% accurate all the time? Not necessarily, but at the end of the day, you kind of just have to accept that that's a part of the game. So Yeah, like wh- as a fan, who are you going to yell at? Yeah, like your who TV. Are you, who are you going to blame for your <laughs> shitty team? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, if it's 100% right, I mean, calling out the refs usually is without, that's, you know. That's I, one of my like one of my favorite things about watching sports is yeah. having a scapegoat for my team sucking. Exactly. And occasionally Don't take that away from me. Occasionally Nola Charter gets blatantly tripped and you actually have a foundation for it. You know, it's fine. And you but... lose the Stanley Cup because of it. Yeah. And I don't want to talk about this anymore. All right, let's move on to <laughs> we got some listener questions this week. Yep. Um first one comes in from Paul. Uh how much longer do you feel the Bruins should give Jakob Zaboral before it's best to simply part ways with him? It seems three to four other D men have simply advanced past him. Oh, I thought you were going to say oh, something. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll, I'll answer I, <laughs> I actually, like, I saw this tweet, and I literally forgot he existed. Um, Same. And, and then I then I started thinking about, uh, you know, back when we were all working at uh, the Hockey Writers, we, we were writing glowing articles about the Bruins system and, and players like uh, JFK and Zach Seneshin, uh and no yeah n- none of them have really worked out and I-, I think my my thing here is as long as we talked about for some reason alexander kolachev last week <laughs> and uh as long as you don't have a player who thinks he is entitled to an nhl position um th- there's no real risk to hanging on to these guys um if they develop then you have either 
an asset or a player who can play for your team. And yeah, uh, players like Connor Clifton and uh, Lazan and Vakanainen have passed Zaboral at this point. Uh, and maybe someday Kevin Miller will play hockey again. So I, yeah, he's way down on the depth chart. But I mean, what do you have to lose from rostering him in, in, in the AHL? Um, and I, I mean, maybe somebody wants him, but I don't think you get anything for him uh, on the trade market. So uh, just hang on to him. There's there's no reason not to. Uh, I just hope someday he develops. Yeah, I think if you if you are to trade him, you need to package him. Um, and I think, like you said, there's really no downside to holding on to him right now. Um, and there's a, an ambulance going by right now. Don't know if you can hear that. Um, but yeah, I think I, I honestly forgot about him as well <laughs> to an extent. Um, I think you got Lazan and then you got, I mean, the depth at D right now is insane. They basically have like six, number six defensemen, number seventh defensemen. Uh, right now you got, uh, Lazan, you got Clifton, Miller, John Moore, which, you know, is a long John Moore, Kampfer, uh, Vakaninen, who, you know, is up and down. So I think Zaboral is something obviously that you could look to trade away. I think there is a surplus there uh, as far as prospects go on the back end for the Bruins. But I do think he's someone that's tough, uh, you know, to get something, you know, yeah. worth any value for considering he's not really seen, at least by the Bruins, as someone who can be better than Lazan, Vakanine, and Clifton, Miller, Moore, Camper, list goes on and on. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think you guys hit it. Like, it, I don't think you force a trade with him because, A, you're not going to get anything good out of it. But, B, at the end of the day, he's still, what, 22 years old now, I believe? Or is this his age 22 season? Uh, you know, nobody is expecting him to, like, come up and – become a top four defenseman in the NHL, by the way. But you never know. He'd become eventually a, a you know bottom two pairing guy, like uh, somebody you pull in as like a seventh defenseman. And until then, like he's at least a decent defenseman in the AHL, which, yeah, doesn't mean much. But until he's taking someone else's spot, I don't think you just throw him away for the sake of, oh, well, he was supposed to be better, so get rid of him. Like if he's holding somebody else up, then – absolutely you get rid of them you clear the space fine but as of now it's like what are you gonna you're not gonna get anything out of him so what's the point of just dumping on him like he's still young maybe he develops a little bit and you can sell him off in a few years as a seventh defenseman or something but at this point just dropping him for nothing just doesn't seem like it's gonna help you at all yeah yeah i think if you if you see him play on the at td garden it's going to be because you move on from camphor somehow from more miller is done for his career or whatever god forbid um i think you see him if he can surpass and become that eighth or seventh defenseman and then there's some injuries you see him get in at at this point anyway i think defensemen are hard to project uh until they reach you know 25 26 but i think at this point sometimes right now i don't see him making it because you get guys like johnny boychuck and kevin miller who kind of blossomed Mm -hmm. at at a later age yeah it's it's a yeah. tough position. Defensemen so. are harder proje- to project than forwards, in my opinion. Yeah, definitely. Well, I mean, it's least, like with a. F- Go yeah, ahead. <laughs> at least from from an offensive perspective, from like you kind of understand if a defenseman is going to be talented from an offensive perspective pretty early on, but like defensively, guys can really develop. And 
and you can get guys who turn into like middle two defensemen uh, later on in their careers. Yeah, I mean, I think people kind of underestimate sometimes how big of a jump it is from the amateur game, whether that's juniors or college or you know somewhere out in Europe, to the North American professional game. Even in the AHL, I mean, obviously it's not at the same skill level that the NHL is, but that is still one of the best leagues in the entire world as far as hockey goes. And I think with guys, you know, especially when you get guys like Charlie McAvoy and, you know, obviously in other teams as far as forwards go, you get like McDavid's and things like that who come in and make that immediate impact. I think people kind of, not necessarily expect it, but they sort of take it for granted where it's like, okay, if you can't produce by the time you know, you're two or three years out of your draft year, then you're just an absolute bust. And I think sometimes, especially with defensive players who are defensive defensemen by nature, you kind of have to give them a little bit of extra time because the results aren't going to be there right away and they won't be quite as evident. So pretty much back to what we were saying, I just don't think you dump them for no reason because there's just no point in doing that right now. There's going to be no return value. Yeah. All right, let's uh, move on to Mark's question. Uh, Shout out to Mark. Uh, black and gold mm-hmm. podcast that's uh been around for a long time been listening great podcast and great website they have yeah, they, uh, they have mark's, some great writers there mark's been uh pumping us up uh thanks mark um with the deadline approaching do you feel a big move is coming or do you get the same feeling i do when thinking sweeney will just make a trade to show the fan base he has a pulse uh i'll <laughs> uh, stempniak and stafford um first of all i i'm gonna push back a little bit on that i think I think Sweeney's made some bigger deals than he gets credit for at the, at the deadline. The Stemniak-Stafford kind of thing, first of all, I think Stemniak was just a signing, not a deal. Um, the Stafford trade was fine, whatever. Um, but in the in the past couple of years, so last year alone, uh, you got Charlie Coyle and Marcus Johansson, who, uh, w- without whom I think you, the Bruins don't even get to the Stanley Cup final. Um, the, those guys were instrumental, and, and you still have Absolutely. Charlie Coyle on this team, and he's since been signed to an extension, and is now like your insurance policy for Krejci and Bergeron, a really important player. Um, and then he, he's had some swings and misses, like the Rick Nash deal. That uh, I think that's the type of player that you want to go and get, like a guy who could be a scoring winger, but like essentially was at the end of his career and washed up. And uh, I think a lot of people kind of knew that that had happened and you take a swing, but that was an overpay for a, for a swing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, 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 th- I think he's made some, some decent deals at the deadline. Um, the, the feeling it's tough to gauge feelings, but I mean, when you look at what guys like, Bob McKenzie are reporting around the league is that the Bruins are doing their due diligence and it looks like Kreider is kind of that guy and Toffoli maybe a a fallback if that doesn't work out um yeah I mean if the Rangers are asking too much for Chris Kreider I don't want the Bruins to overpay for him so if if Sweeney ends up doing something that doesn't seem super inspiring um it's fine because this team is very good without adding anybody and overpaying and mortgaging your future on like fine players is not something I endorse. Yeah, Chris, you know, I think you're absolutely right. Uh, I think something that is important to remember here is 
again, as of the time of this standing, or out of this recording, rather, the Bruins are at the top of the standings. If this is a team that is fighting for a playoff spot or maybe is trying to get out of the wild card situation into the divisional uh, playoff uh, you know, standings there, then I think you look a little bit more seriously if you have to address a glaring hole. But there aren't any... I don't want to say there's no... They're not a perfect team by any means, but there are no issues where it's like they absolutely cannot win the Stanley Cup unless they do this. Yes, you could find your second-line right-winger that they've been looking for for years, but they didn't have it last year, and they were three periods away from a Stanley Cup. And obviously some changes have been made, but for the most part, this is a very, very good hockey team. I don't think you make any drastic deals just for the sake of you know, making a deal. I think you understand what you have. If the right opportunity presents itself, then you pursue it. But there's no huge glaring issue that needs to be covered up right now. So I think you really need to keep that in mind as we approach the end of this month and the trade deadline. Yeah, I think, first of all, Sweeney and Neely, I see them as a pair basically making all the decisions. Uh, Even though Sweeney's in the quote-unquote GM position, uh, I think they do a very good job not overbidding. I mean, if you look at free agency with the Tavares and Kovalchuk, all that, they were in there, but they were not willing to overpay. And I think the same thing occurs via trade. Obviously, like you said, uh, Chris with Nash, uh, kind of a miss. Um, and, you know, they've had some misses over the past couple years, but they've also made very good moves like Coyle. I think uh, Johansson was also an, an amazing move, just seeing what he was able to do for them, particularly against Columbus, uh, but also in that playoff run. I think he worked out. Obviously, it was a rental. But I personally think I see them making a move for a guy like Kreider or Toffoli or nothing. I don't think they need to make any move for, um, as Mark said, a Stafford. Um, I think you see them either make a big move for that second-line winger or nothing at all. They have so much depth right now in that in the bottom two lines that they don't really need anything else. I mean, they got Nordstrom, Corrali, Wagner, Heinen, Coils there. Uh, you know, the, there's there's a lot of players, including prospects like Kuhlman and such, that can fill those roles if needed. I don't think you need another player like that at all. So I definitely see them either going for that second-line winger that they've been searching for for, it feels like, half my lifetime <laughs> – <laughs> or they don't make a move at all. Uh, future Krejci appreciation podcast coming in the future where uh, we mentioned that Krejci has carried that second line for a decade. That was supposed to be episode one, but now I guess it's three or four <laughs> or seven. Or... We're going to have to block out a whole month's worth of episodes because that's going to be such a long, <laughs> such a long <laughs> pod. But it'll be a fun one for sure. All right, um, so next question comes in from Eric Blackie. Uh, there's a real chance the Bruins don't make a move at all and don't trade for anyone. If that happens, do you see more call-ups or do they stick with the current line combinations? I think we did a pretty good job answering that right now. Um, unless you see some injuries or, I mean, I, I'm hoping Kevin Miller comes back because he's a great third-pairing defenseman. Um, yeah, I think this is kind of the roster you're, you're working with, with kind of Kuhlman, Heinen figuring that out. Um, yeah, you, you have that the Kuhlman, Heinen, Bjork kind of triumvirate trying to fight for those two spots on the uh, on the right wing on the second and third lines. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know what you guys feel. 
No, I agree. I think, like you said, fighting for that spot on the line is good. You want a little internal competition, you know, that's that's healthy for a team that have guys that, you know, you don't want to feel like they're against you or anything, but having a little breath on your back when you're playing isn't necessarily the worst thing. And like you said, I mean, or like we all said, really, I guess there's just no reason to make a deal for the chance or for the sake of making a deal. Um, and that kind of is the same as calling guys up. They have the depth that they need right now. On the back end, like we addressed before, they have so many different options um, that if one guy you bring up and he's not playing well, swap him in for the next guy. Uh, I do think, like you mentioned, Chris, getting Kevin Miller back would be absolutely huge. And I will say, I back earlier in his career, I was not the biggest Kevin Miller guy. Um, when we had Kevin Miller and Colin Miller, I was always Team Colin. But I will be the first to say that over the last couple of years, he has beyond impressed me. I think he's turned into a much different player. Uh, he has that extra little bit of grit and toughness that a lot of Bruins fans want. But aside from that, he has turned into a pretty responsible defenseman for a lower-pairing guy. Getting him back just as another option that is already proven at the NHL level, and it's not somebody you can slot in and be like, all right, he should be good, but we don't really know. Having another proven option like that on the back end could mean a lot for this team. Yeah, not to make this a Kevin Miller podcast either, but there was a time where Don Sweeney signed both Kevin Miller and Adam McQuaid to very similar deals, and they were seen as almost the exact same player. And then I guess maybe like a year later, McQuaid had declined, and Miller was somehow had increased his skating speed and had trained with puck skills over the off season or something to the point where sometimes I would see that number 86 and misread it as an 88 and would Hot take confuse, would confuse <laughs> him with David Pasternak. I can't wait to see what the people on Twitter have to say about that. It's going to be great. I, the go back into my tweets. Yeah, definitely go search through all my tweets about Kevin Miller and go see all, all the praise that I heaped on him last year. Uh, absolutely absolutely insane glow up and and i don't know he's he's always been kind of injury prone uh, kind of the same as as adam mcquade if you play that kind of game you're kind of just asking for for pain and punishment but um if, if he comes back with the same kind of skill and speed a uh, very valuable third pairing defenseman yeah i think if you if you look at all the players in the league Kevin Miller is right up there in terms of adjusting his game to this new era of the NHL that seemingly overnight it's gone from rugged and toughness to speedy and younger players. Um, I think he 100% altered his game, still keeping that physical side alive, that toughness, but also the speed, puck moving. I was amazed after Colin Miller... uh, went to Vegas how much better really at that point that Kevin Miller became and I really hope he becomes healthy enough to continue playing Um, in terms of the question I do think that they wind up staying pat as I said before unless they go for Kreider to Foley they need nothing on the D in my opinion Uh, without Miller I prefer Clifton in there maybe there's some bias but I Went to Quinnipiac University for two years. I got to watch him play my freshman and sophomore year, uh, at least one of which when he was captain of the team. Um, I, I definitely prefer him over Moore, over Camphor, over Lazom. Um, 
But yeah, I think they either go for that second line winger or not. They need nothing on D. I think they're perfect where they are. I think that sa- that like sixth, seventh defenseman spot is the spot where I will admit my least knowledge. Where like I've watched this team, and that spot is the one that I've watched the least. And in my limited knowledge of that spot, I would say I'm a Lausanne guy. But mm. I think that's more mm. for the upside than anything. And I, I think I trust Connor Clifton with that, especially since he did play a handful last year and, and look pretty good in the playoffs especially yeah, i go with clifton over a guy like Lazan. yeah i would as well i'm team clifton there cliffy hockey all cliffy right let's hockey. move on to our last question also from eric blackie and i feel like this is an important question for our mm-hmm. podcast specifically uh i don't want to drink any more damn hoppy beers and i don't want something <laughs> i have to put an orange or lime in it <laughs> What are some good non-IPA style beers out there? On the first one, on the first one, I was going to say Corona, and then he said <laughs> not with an orange or a lime. So for the record, maybe this is just me. Corona way better without the lime. But I think that um, might just I be disagree. You. I, yeah. can't, I can't drink Corona without that. The might lime. be the hottest take. See, I I drink, like I said on the first episode, I have a gluten intolerance. I mean, the boom sauce that I've been drinking is full of gluten. But uh, as someone with a gluten intolerance who can't handle two or more beers with gluten in them, Corona is great, and I drink it all the time. And, yeah, better without a lime. I think I just got sick of it over time. It got too much of, you know, the same thing. Um, But, yeah, what do you guys think? Because... I drink Corona and IPAs, so I don't really know how to help. <laughs> so I, I think my, my number one suggestion, uh, didn't do any background research on when, where Eric is from, but let's assume from the East Coast. Um, I think one of my favorite New England beers is the Smutty Nose Old Brown Dog. Um, that's a, It's just like a good solid brown ale. Um, it's... It's got a good amount of alcohol in it. I think it's like six and a half percent, but it's not aggressive uh, to to your palate. Uh, if you if you like a good like toasty beer, that's that's a good one to go with. Um, and if we're talking like nationally available beers, um, I like the I like the Kona beers. I like uh, you know Big Wave. I mean that might be a little too like floral or fruity if you're if you're not looking for. You mentioned oranges or limes, Eric. So. If you're not looking for that, then uh, the Firestone and the Longboard are pretty solid. I get behind those. I will say my favorite beer of all time, and I don't think this is what he's looking for, to be fair. So, sorry, <laughs> Eric. Because <laughs> if you're trying to get away from the fruity, this is... It's like fruity, but different. I am a big sour person across beer, Strong candy, things, things like that. The Victory Sour Monkey is, like, my favorite beer of all time. I will put a fat disclaimer out there. Everyone who I have ever recommended it to either loves it or absolutely hates it. Like, I've had some sour beers where you're like, okay, it's kind of, like, in between. I see why it's a sour. This is, like, aggressively sour. And for my palate, I love that kind of thing. If you're willing to experiment, I recommend you give it a try. I would buy, like, a six-pack or, like, order it solo at the bar because I'm... I'm not playing around. It is really fucking sour, but it's damn good. I like it a lot. Um, so yeah, give that a try. It's also nine and a half percent. So you got to kind of watch yourself on that one, but it is a, uh, it is a really good beer. 
as far as just the generic stuff goes, that's not quite as fruity. I can really get behind any of those. I'm big time Team Corona. Um, I definitely would throw a lime in there, but you can't really go wrong with it. I'm, I'm Team Pacifico when it comes to Mexican beers, and you can throw a lime in that too. Um, cheaper than Corona, um, and it tastes better in my opinion. So uh, there you go. Yeah, um, like I said, I drink Corona, some gluten-free brews, and then IPAs. So Bud Light, not great in my opinion. Michelob Ultra. Michelob Ultra, I thought was the best beer when I was. 16 not that i drank before Nicola i was 21 but ultra is seltzer water it's water yeah exactly <laughs> that's why i thought it was the greatest beer when i was 16 it's <laughs> like wow this is amazing oh yeah it's just hydrating me that's all it's doing yeah i got i got nothing i'm sorry so, so to go off of uh from of cam's uh recommendation uh one of the little background oh. things is when we we're first doing the beer threads i picked up a twisted monkey uh which is a mango uh, victory beer um, and I posted that because it was left over from a party that I went to and I, I was told to take them home um, I've actually been to that brewery it's in Downingtown, Pennsylvania uh, check it out, it's pretty awesome I have a friend who is from Downingtown so got the strong recommendations um, I've had some really weird nights on Golden Monkey because that is really high alcohol like Cam said um, but yeah, uh, go for that. It's a, it's like a Belgian, uh, if you just want to go with the regular golden monkey, um, sour monkey is not really my thing, but yeah. Yeah. Wh- one last thing on the, that beer note before we quickly get into the week preview. And I have, then one, I more, I have to... one more thing after, after okay. this. Um, what I was going to say is, you know, I like all these micro brews and all these IPAs and stuff, but a lot of the, uh, a lot of the breweries that make all these IPAs that are all the rage today also have some decent things that aren't. So definitely look into those breweries that are popular for their IPAs. Uh, you can Google them, go on their websites and stuff, and often you'll find something that isn't an IPA as well. Uh, if you're looking for something less hoppy and also not citrusy, definitely Google is a great ally. All right, so uh, I, I responded to our... Uh, I think to one of your tweets, Drew, uh, that I will be in Texas this weekend. And my friend Josh asked me what beers I will be drinking in Texas this weekend because uh, he lives in Texas and I will be hanging out with him. He just beat cancer. Shout out to him. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. He's uh, the answer to your question. Uh, I will be drinking Pearl Snap, Shinerbach, Lone Star, Ziegenbach, and of course, Montucky Cold Snacks. And Michelob Ultra. <laughs> and Natty Light. Natter Days. <laughs> so oh, so little little sidebar on Mon- Montucky Cold Snack. It's basically these guys from Montana who decided to make craft Coors Light. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it kind of became a, like a, a joke in with my friends in, in Texas and, and I because – that it's available in Texas, like pretty widely available in Texas and not a lot of other places. And it is by far the most refreshing beer I've ever had. It just like, it tastes like fresh spring water that'll get you drunk. And it's just excellent. 
All right, so so uh, unless you do, you have anything else on the beer can? I think you're good. No, I mean the only thing I'm going to say is if you catch uh, Chris at Cowboy Con with any of those, just make sure you spot a picture <laughs> for the account. If you spot me I at was, Cowboy Con, buy me a Montucky cold snack, please. <laughs> I was just going to say that Cali Boy's going Cowboy, so we got oh. uh, we got to get to the week ahead. <laughs> crack open another Boom Sauce. Uh, so boom Detroit. Sauce. What? <laughs> That was I story. couldn't hear anything over the crack of my beard, man. It was so crisp. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so we got Detroit. The rematch. Uh, the time, time to get the revenge. To just undo. I think they put that sort of in the rearview mirror when they beat Montreal. But now is their real chance to just make all of us Boston fans to forget. So uh, what well, are you guys thinking about so, that so one? So you know what I've always said in the one episode of this that we've recorded is that predicting scores of hockey games is really stupid oh yeah um i've always said that in the one episode that we've had um but i'm gonna predict a seven to nothing victory over detroit here see i predicted like 27 to nothing or something (laughs) which is a football score um this is but more specifically what do you guys think are like key things they need to change from their game uh sunday to Detroit. I think the up. goals should go in. Uh, yes, the, the one that 100%. Chris Wagner. I forgot missed, hockey. <laughs> the, the the one that Chris Wagner like wide open net that he missed mm. that should go in. Uh, the wide open net that Brad Marchand missed should also go in. Uh, also, I'm I'm not clear on what our podcast is calling Brad Marchand Marchand. Uh, I prefer Marchand, I think, but I just called him Marchand because. He changes it every year. Yeah, I if think you he listen does. to Jack, he, he says at the beginning of the year that he prefers Marchand, and then another year he says Marchand, Marchand. and then he went back to Marchand. I, so I, think I just call him Marshy. I think he's Marchand this year. I think he went with a D. Uh, mm. Yeah, and, and no, he's just a troll. <laughs> no one across the league knows what to call him, but I prefer Marchand because. Marchand. Marchand. Um, Masha. <laughs> yeah, that, those, are my, next those are my minutes. thoughts on, uh, on Detroit. Uh, yeah, score the goals that you didn't score in the last game. Yep. I, like, that sounds like a cop-out again, but I feel like that's, that's the truth. Is like, again, we went through the shot total there. They had plenty of opportunities. You just got to bury them. Hopefully you get a little more puck luck. Um, this one is at home, like we've been talking about. The Bruins have been absolutely dominant at home this season, so hopefully there's a little more energy I think, Drew, like you said, they kind of put it in the rearview mirror for that Montreal game, but you can be damn sure they're pulling it right back out for this one. Um, I think you really hope for a big win here just to kind of set the record straight. Um, again, at the end of the day, with how they are in the standings, it's not you can't really call this a must-win against a terrible team or anything like that, but I think not even really that big of a confidence boost, but just kind of... I don't know. Whenever you lose to a team like that, you're just a little more fired up. So I hope, especially with how close together these two games are, uh, that they come out really swinging on Saturday. Um, and then we got the Rangers coming up. So Chris Kreider will be on the same ice as Anders Bjork and Danton Heinen. If you want to know our takes fully on that trade, check out episode one. Where the audio is uh, not they, quite as good, but the analysis is just as good. Oh, yeah. You guys both. I sounded beautiful on episode <laughs> one but despite all my ums it sounded beautiful you guys had your freaking computer mics but anyway rangers 
What do you guys think about that one? Guys to look out for, obviously Panarin. Uh, Mika Zibanejad's having a really good year. I, I don't think he's up on all the scoring lists because he missed a pretty big portion of the first quarter of the season, but he's been kind of like a often having multi-point games kind of guy. Um, and I, I think if you put the Persia online on, on him, like that'll tamp that down a little bit but it'll be an interesting matchup yeah it's, i think zabinage go ahead go ahead oh it's not a great team obviously the the rangers aren't like climbing up the standings or anything they're more looking to sell than they are to try and make the playoffs but uh, they do have some some good names on there and it's, oh when you said zabinage i think he's uh a very underrated player in the league um in terms of two-way game and scoring uh i think he's especially the past couple seasons, been overshadowed by an under-par team. Um, I think he's definitely someone to look out for because, you know, Panarin's a big name. Uh, Kreider in Boston is a huge name to look for. Lundqvist, just, you know, a legendary name almost. Uh, yeah, Zabanjad's definitely someone to watch. Certainly. Oh, my flight just got delayed, so uh, we got time, guys. Okay, so <laughs> welcome to the two-hour episode two. <laughs> Of Bruise and Bruins. We're just going to keep off. going until An hour he's on later. Plane. Which should be as long as your commute from wherever you live to Boston this morning or night <laughs> or whatever. So, so, uh, so now this is a more you relaxed episode. We got... Yeah. Question for you guys with regards to these two games. Uh, another back-to-back. Granted, we don't quite know the status right now of Yarrow Halak, but what do you think they roll as far as goaltending? I assume if they're both... Uh, healthy as far as sickness goes they each get one do you think they roll out Tuca at home with how dominant he's been or do you think they go with Yarrow against a lesser opponent in Detroit albeit they've had their struggles how do you predict that they go with the goaltending tandem this weekend did Tuca play against Detroit yeah he was in that game where Yarrow was quote-unquote sick still sick yeah i think cassidy said he'd update it on friday which we're recording on thursday night perfect timing for our recording what perfect timing to be recording and and yeah exactly so you'll know before we do right now but this is the past (laughs) you're in the present um interesting concept again for stoners and bruins podcast we'll talk about the <laughs> i do think how the, time was the, invented by man the ends and of, so um, the ends of these episodes artificial are concept be, <laughs> the ends of these That's episodes actually, are always going to be a little bit interesting just because of the amount of beer that we've been drinking during the episodes <laughs> <laughs> the end is so much better than the beginning just because it's a cluster the, the so analysis far. is always better than the beginning toward the end we just start hey, yeah well, yeah yeah what do you, what do you think <laughs> That's kind of when we start mentioning trade Bruce. Yes, it's going to be a common theme on this podcast for me. I, f- I a forget. joke. So I, I it's wish a I joke. could. I wish I could shout out. I don't remember who it was. It might have been Eric Blackie. I don't know the the guy who sent us these questions today. Uh, we had, we had a pretty good conversation on Twitter last night about about trades, and he thought that we were serious about trading Pasternak in the segment that we were trying to come up with a trade scenario that the Bruins would make that would equate to the Mookie Betts trade. Uh, so, <laughs> hey, everybody, anytime we're talking about trading anyone off it the was top not, line, It was not Eric Blackie, uh, by the way. Okay, It was uh, Patrick <laughs> Carher. Shout out to him because that was a good conversation. Okay, yeah, yeah, we, we had a good conversation last night. Um, yeah, sorry, Eric Blackie, didn't mean to implicate you in this, in this conversation. Did have a good conversation with Patrick, though. Uh, 
that yeah uh listen to more episodes uh he did go back and listen to our first episode after i called him out for not having listened to the first episode (laughs) (laughs) yeah good on him because a lot of people would just ignore that and he even said he's not a podcast guy so thank you for giving it a try super appreciative of of that that's that that is like very uncommon shit on twitter (laughs) i was gonna say not only would most people ignore it most people would double down on it (laughs) <laughs> like they have no idea what they're talking about so yeah i listened to it i still thought it was shit <laughs> all right <laughs> um i think the last thing before cali boy becomes cowboy um is edmonton on wednesday which actually starts a canadian road trip i wouldn't exactly call it a west coast road trip because I have it up here, so I should know. But it is Edmonton, I believe Calgary. Yes, Calgary on Friday, and then Vancouver on Saturday. So just looking at Edmonton, so it's which Al- is Alberta the Wednesday ABC. game, um, Connor McDavid show. Nope. Uh, what do you guys think about that? Uh, McDavid's out for the next like three to six weeks. So it is not the Connor McDavid show. <laughs> Newsflash, Leon. For, for me, Newsflash. <laughs> um, as a, as an owner of Connor McDavid in a fantasy hockey league, I'm up to date on this news. Um, fun fact, though, uh, Connor McDavid is not even the leading point scorer on his own team. It's Leon Dreisaitl, who I don't think gets enough credit. Um, I think clearly Connor McDavid is the better player. Uh, no one would argue that, but uh, Leon Dreisaitl is legitimately a world class player. Um, even without McDavid on the ice, they, they haven't been playing on the same line for most of this season. They, they started out that way. Recently, uh, Leon Dreisaitl has been playing on the second line. He's been centering with Ryan Nugent Hopkins playing on his wing, and that has been wildly productive. Um, Dreisaitl is tied for second in the league in points with David Pasternak right now. Um really impressive season for that guy that that team is an interesting situation where you're any year that you're not competing in Edmonton is a waste of two world-class players primes and I think that team has been horribly mismanaged over the past few years and it's it's a really interesting case to watch because it is the farthest north team in the NHL no free agent wants to go there <laughs> however Chiarelli. however they got both of their star players to sign long-term extensions there and so i think just based on a talent level they could be a possible destination for players who really want to win but they don't have a winning culture yet so it's it's interesting it's an interesting team it's going to be an interesting matchup that power play that power play fucks and i think it'll i think it'll be good even without mcdavid so uh that's that's another game where you don't really want to get into a battle of penalties there go ahead cam yeah absolutely i mean while we're really praising dry here i just went back and looked at his stats i mean his first full season in the nhl uh was in 2015-16 he played a little bit before that he had 37 games the year before when he was 19 his first full season, 20 years old, he put up 51 points, 19 of which were goals. The next season, he jumped to 77. 
fast forward a little bit to last season, he had 105 points. So it's not like this is a guy that's really broken out recently. But it was it was a 50-55 season too. Like it's not like he's one dimensional. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I'll I'll actually add that 77 point season. He played all 82 games, and he also played all 82 last year. So he's been able to avoid the injury bug for now. I hope I don't jinx him because you hate to see that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think obviously he gets overshadowed by McDavid a lot, which is very understand and understandable. I mean, the guy's a generational talent. Um, but even with McDavid out, they still have pieces that can be really dangerous. Uh, and also, I'm just looking at this is a random thought, but we were talking a little bit about plus minus last year. He's got 89 points this year, and he's a minus 11. That is the perfect example of how plus-minus is just an absolute garbage stat sometimes because you look at that and you're like, oh, I don't want a guy who's minus 11 over the season. He's got 89 points. Like, that's just – it's ridiculous. But <laughs> Bonkers. Sorry, I, I just – I'm really anti-plus-minus in most cases, and I've already taken several opportunities to throw that out here on the pod. But, no, um, yeah, uh... don't – I'll I'll bounce off that point. Um, I I think the like Corsi kind of got shoved to the side because it sounds like an advanced stat when you put a name on it, but really it's just like shot attempt plus minus. Like it's like shot attempt differential. If you put that name on it, like everyone would be like, oh okay. Like who controls the puck more and who. Like, like it's not a perfect stat, but it's way more telling than plus minus. I'll be honest; I never bought into Corzy simply because I saw that there, in its description in parentheses, it was this plus this times this or something. There was a lot of math, there's, and there's I'm not, not a, a math guy. Not a I I know hockey stats. I can do hockey stats. When you ask me to do addition and multiplication so or the, whatever, the division, only, the only not reason there are multiple numbers there is because they have to add up like three categories that already yeah. exist. But those categories you can wipe out just by calling them shot attempts because it's like <laughs> shots that miss the net, shots on goal, and then blocked shots. So basically, what it's trying to do is trying to create a large sample size of who controls the puck more when right 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 when players are on the ice and th- there are a lot of really good like advanced stats out there like expected goals for that have a lot of very complex things behind them like shot, value. shot maps and, and and things like that where okay if you don't really want to subscribe to this because it's there's a, a lot of math behind it and you don't really want to deal with that that's fine Corsi is literally just a one number minus another number. <laughs> and the and the only other number you really but have that, to pay attention to. That's also to, math. The the only other number you have to pay attention to when you look at Corsi is zone starts, which don't necessarily tell the whole story because yeah. zone starts don't really mean everything, but if you have a guy who's starting like eighty percent of his his shifts in the offensive zone, like obviously his course is gonna be better. But conversations for another time what was even the beginning topic of, topic of this <laughs> it was did we even, did we even get Wednesday, to yeah. we're talking yeah, about no, it was edmonton and, and uh, <laughs> mcdavid being out 
<laughs> again, I think well, I think the the draw of this podcast ooh, a couple is, double IPAs, man. Yeah, I, again, I think I think the draw of the podcast is you come for the Bruins and you stay for the Bruins. You know, you, that's, you that's stay for the last is. twenty minutes of the podcast. <laughs> um. Oh, one thing I was gonna mention the points race when you mentioned dry sidle, uh, dry sidle, whatever you want to <laughs> call them, based on your accent. I apparently I have a. Oh, I've been told. By the way, I also a, misspoke earlier. David Pasternak's tied for second in the league with yeah, Connor with McDavid. McDavid. Um, mm-hmm. Drysaddle is number one at eighty nine, like Cam said. Uh, before I move on, I've been told I have a Boston accent when I've been drinking, but a just regular old American accent when I'm not. But anyway, yeah, no, I was gonna say that everybody talks about David Pasternak in the goals race, but no one talks about it seems in the points race where he is tied with Connor McDavid and McDavid has played 55 games, Pasternak 58. But as you said, uh, McDavid is injured Which and is will likely be out honest, for some because time. I would love to see a full season of McDavid at his full strength and, and see what he can do. Mm-hmm. But it, it is nice seeing dry side. like take that shine right now being. Number and one it's it, honestly, it's nice to finally hear someone say uh, David Pasternak in terms of his points, because uh, currently, I mean, he has some games over McKinnon, but he's ahead of McKinnon. Who's he's a similar player? Panarin. I, I, I he's ahead of Marshawn, Eichel, Kucherov, Kane, Huberdo, Matthews. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, I, a part of that's just the line he's on, as we talked about before. And there's another ambulance, or and kudos to them for doing their job, but they're ruining Bruce and Bruins. Um, it doesn't ruin anything. People just, like, hear it in the background. My dogs have been barking, like, half the time. That's true. But you keep putting yourself on mute. I haven't been putting myself on mute at all, so you've been hearing me crack beers and open bottles and everything. But, yeah, no, no one really uh, talks I inten- about – I intentionally uh, cracked a beer in front of the mic. <laughs> I did too at one point. But, uh, anyway, yeah, Pasternak, in terms of points, he has four to 40 assists, including his 41 goals for 81 points, I think – I mean, a lot of that has to do with the line that he's on with Marshawn, Marshan, Marshy, and uh, and Bergeron. Um, I think. I mean, I think that's still amazing though, because you see the passes Pasternak makes, um, and the fact that he is nearly as good of a playmaker as he is a scorer statistically right now, with forty-one goals and forty assists, is uh, just amazing. So. Honestly, I, I did not know he was that high on the points board before you said that. I didn't either um, until I saw it. <laughs> sorry. Shout out to HockeyReference.com. Well, so he, he, I think he was behind uh, Marchand like last week and then piled up a bunch of assists and then had a hat trick, and now he's now he's up there. Um, and Marchand's got 23 goals and 48 assists. He's, he's in sixth right now in, in points, uh, 10, 10 points behind Pasternak. Um, yeah, so I... I wrote this article about uh, Brad Marchand last year. I think we talked about this off pod earlier today um, where I kind of broke down how he developed from a pure scorer into a really well-rounded player. And over the past few years, I just kind of been watching David Pasternak and going like, he is doing the Brad Marchand thing, but like, in a super condensed time frame he's doing it he like he did it in like two years where he went from being like all right he's gonna score 20 goals and he's gonna be like a little bit of a role player 
and then he's going to be a 30-goal scorer and not really give you a lot of assists, and then he's going to be a like just complete player, and then a year later he is one of the best players in the league, and he's dishing out assists. I, w- I will say, like, he tries some shit. So, like, he's not mm. scared to, like, try shit. <laughs> he, <laughs> both as a goal scorer and as a passer, he will he's going to try to make that highlight real play. And I really appreciate that, especially since he doesn't do it in times that put the Bruins in peril. I guess like there are a couple times this season you can point out where he's made a pass that have led to uh, breaks going the other way. But I think in general, he's pretty careful about it. All right, let's wrap this up guys. It's been a, uh, it's been a longer episode. We plan on doing a shorter episode, but that just, once you start killing beers, it just doesn't happen like that. Well, and and Cowboys' flight got delayed, so yeah. I, I, I also lost my note. my ride back to where I'm staying, so I'm gonna have to take an Uber. <laughs> you gotta find a uh, fan out there uh, with the podcast down in yeah. Anybody in, in San Antonio? I will say when I was looking through, this is kind of creepy. I don't know if this is gonna discourage people from listening to our podcast. I hope not. But uh, you can actually kind of check, like, by city. It's not too sketchy, stalkery. But you can see where your viewership is from. And we've had some interesting places. We had, like, obviously a lot of Boston area, some in Canada. We had, uh, like, down in Louisiana. We had some in Slovakia. So if you're tuning in from Slovakia, I just want to give a quick shout-out to you because that's the shit right there. Hell yeah. Also, for those who are in Canada, behind enemy lines with Toronto, Montreal, Ottawa or wherever you are if you're in vancouver whatever but like alberta thank you (laughs) for being a bruins fan big credit to you because being a bruins fan in canada i feel like is is it it, there's a rough go of it there (laughs) i feel that i identify as or you know i I, with that as a red sox fan in new york so i definitely i definitely get that (laughs) feeling but yeah anyway let's wrap it up before one thing i did want to mention this is obviously a Bruins-centered podcast, but seeing as the Bruins are in Boston, big week and a half and so in Boston hockey with the bean pot. I know Drew is winning. I'm a big college hockey guy. Real quick, shout out to Northeastern winning that one. I know, first of all, which would have been unheard of somewhat recently. Obviously, Northeastern was not by any means powerhouse of Boston hockey, let alone college hockey, but shout out to them. They are now. Exactly. That BU tying goal was sweet. My buddy was there sending me Snapchats of it, and I was beyond jealous. Uh, The BU tying goal was sweet. I know there was a lot of controversy with the penalty that led to the game winner in overtime. It happens. That's hockey. Again, if you're a Bruins BU fan, then you can really feel that one between the aforementioned uh, Nolachari lack there of a call and that one that's just two stingers <laughs> in one season for you or two seasons technically i guess but um yeah real quick shout out to northeastern I'm making the college hockey yeah, world I'm, proud i'm i'm not a bean pod guy uh because i'm from amherst massachusetts and i'm a umass fan yeah that's fair uh none of those teams are <laughs> to my liking <laughs> no love there so, no uh, love there yeah yeah, uh, it, it was fun, though, last year watching uh, Kale McCarr lead UMass oh, to yeah. the finals, but uh, unfortunately that didn't turn out well. Um, yeah, but it's it's been really cool watching Kale McCarr turn into a really good NHL defenseman. Uh, all right, guys, once again, thank you, everybody, for listening. This has been just a good time getting off the ground with you guys. Uh, we've been 
really talking just a lot in you know over the last week or so in our own little off pod group chat. I know I'm having a blast. I know you guys are too. I hope all the listeners out there are enjoying this as well. So thanks to everybody tuning in for episode two. Hey. Yeah, I, th- I think that about says it for for me too. Thank you very much for watching. Uh, follow again, Brews and Bruins on Twitter. Brews and Bruins, as Chris mentioned earlier, not the and sign, but spell out and. Hey, also, uh, you know, give us uh, give us a review on iTunes uh, or Apple Podcasts for real. Um, and if you don't, if you're too lazy to review, just give us a five star rating. Um, those those things kind of help. It uh, it comes up. So uh, if you type in brew on uh, like in Apple Podcasts, like it's the second podcast that comes up. It's pretty cool. But we need to be first. Yeah. <laughs> the race. I don't top. care who else is out there. We need to be first. <laughs> yeah, if you type in Bruins, I'm not sure where it comes up at all. But. I think we're a hundred and first, but hundred and second. Well, we're trying to get. Up, we're trying to get up there. Exactly. You know, not only does it make us warm and fuzzy inside, but it actually does help us expand. Um, yeah, find us on Twitter. Once again, we tweet out, you know, before the show and stuff to ask questions and stuff. But that's really open any time. You guys are hanging out with your friends or something, maybe having your own little brews and brewing session. <laughs> Feel free to just shoot us questions on Twitter. and uh, Or just shoot us a picture of your beer. Yeah, We want to know what you're drinking, too. We need inspiration. Exactly, exactly, yeah. any, anytime you're ever drinking a beer, just send it to our account. <laughs> Even if I it's the, the same idea. beer. You're people people hanging rack, out being like, man, all. I got I got all these brewings questions. Uh, we, we should send them to the guys over at Brews and Brewings. <laughs> Yeah, you're hanging out on a Friday night. Yeah, tweet us. Because you, you, <laughs> you got nothing better to the do. <laughs> we know where your first thought. <laughs> um, but yeah, so uh, if you're listening, good night or good morning or good afternoon. And uh, have a good beer for us. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.